0: Hello everyone, thanks for being a part of Encounter Church today, whether you're joining us live online or whether you're listening in later at a different time through YouTube or through our app, or if you're like me, I like to catch up on podcasts, uh, maybe in the gym or driving down the road or going for a run, we're glad that you are a part of Encounter Church. Speaking of being a part of Encounter Church, even though we have been online more than we have ever wanted to or just online, we look forward to being back in service July 25th. So make sure to jot your calendar 1030 AM on July 25th. We would love for you to be in person right here at 18 Southwest Park in Westwood. Of course, we will continue our online presence if you cannot be with us, but we would love to see you on July 25th. This is the final message in a series that Pastor Chris started and I led last week uh, called Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. How do we live a life of better decisions and fewer regrets? No matter where you are in your faith journey, if you have faith in Christ or whether you're a Christian or whether you're seeking out, I'm telling you, this is a common ground here. Everyone wants to live a life of better decisions and fewer regrets. And what I love about the Bible is that the Bible says so much about how to do that. And one of the most common books that we have looked at even throughout this series several times and many times before is this incredible book, the book of Proverbs, that not only tells us how we ought to live, but how we ought to think. And so what an incredible opportunity we have to continue this series and just know that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through here at Encounter Church, we love you and we care about you. And we would love to hear from you as you get to know us and you can reach out to us either Either by email or you can reach out to us um, by by filling out the con- the connection card um, on the app. We would love to hear from you and how we can come alongside you no matter what you're facing. Even just this past week, I heard from two folks that have been engaging with Encounter Church. And it's a joy to get to know you. So we haven't been together in the room every single Sunday like we hope to be very, very soon. But just know that we love and we care about you. Because we do want you to live a life that knows God. We want you to live a life full of joy. And we. We certainly want you to live a life of better decisions and fewer regrets. We've been asking these questions and the right question, as we've stated in this series, leads to often the right answer. Sometimes the right question leads to even a better question. But when we wrestle with the good question, it really leads us to a great conversation, which can really lead us to wise living. And the question that we're going to ask this week is a relationship question. And it really has to do with love. But before I tell you the question, I want to talk about Jesus. In so many ways, Jesus created paradigm shifts. In fact, just this past week, I was thinking about the life of Jesus. And we know because of history and and because of first century historians that wrote about him, We and we know because of what we read in the Bible, and we know because of uh, these uh, in, incredible chronologies of, of, of life and his ancestors before him, we know that he lived 33 years. But we know his public ministry, as recorded in the Gospels, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the beginning of the New Testament, now that's about three years of his 33. And so thirty three or 30 of those years were in formation and growing up. And he worked a job just like you and I, right? And Jesus was a carpenter because his father was a carpenter. But three years of his public ministry, when people began to write about Jesus and what he said, changed the world. When people began to write about what Jesus did, it changed the world. And then, of course, most of all, the pinnacle of all of Jesus' life, what he did for you and I on the cross, the way he died, the way that he was buried, the way that he rose again from the dead, He offered the forgiveness of sin. And I love that we read in the scripture that anyone who believes in this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved because Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me. But Jesus created not only about what he did, but by how he lived, he created these incredible paradigm shifts. And just before Jesus died, I say all that to say because that's the life of Jesus, found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what he did ultimately to die, to give his life as a ransom that anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, anyone who confesses that they're a sinner, anyone who decides to follow Jesus can have eternal life. But Jesus, before he did that, not only by what he did on the cross, but by the way that he loved and by the way that he served, he created a paradigm shift. And in John chapter 13, I'm going to read to you a few, a few verses. In John chapter 13, he stated, not only did he do it, but he stated the par- one of the many paradigm shifts that I want to read to you. And it's, it's this. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says this, A new command I give you love one another as i have loved you so you must also love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another let me just read it again a new command i give you You think a new command when you hear this you i don't know how familiar you are with the bible but when you hear love one another you're like jesus you're like wait 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 this is a New command, Jesus, this is uh, is a new commandment. I think maybe this one's been around for a little while, right? But oh no, this was different because they saw the way that Jesus loved was different. You see, a lot of people didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't believe he was the Messiah because they thought that Jesus would come being the anointed one, being the savior, that he would save them from oppression and particularly the oppression from the Romans. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't spend time going into the city of Rome trying to overthrow the government officials. Jesus did not do that. Jesus did not come sitting on a throne, though he could have and May. I can't say should have, but like he deserves to be honored sitting on the throne. Jesus didn't come sitting on a throne, putting out his feet, allowing people to wash his feet. But you know what Jesus did? One of the most incredible ways that Jesus loved, and there are many incredible stories, is that Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, he got on the ground and washed the feet of the disciples. Imagine Jesus, you watching him and hearing him and seeing his stories and seeing these miracles and Jesus inviting you over to a dinner. And when you arrive to that dinner, you don't see a maidservant at the door on his or her knees for the towel, you see Jesus. And Jesus begins to teach at this Last Supper and begins to talk to them about what he is going to do. And, and then he says, hey, I'm going to show you right now the type of love that I have for you. And he gets on his knees. Even some of the disciples push back and said, no, 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 no. Jesus, we should be doing this. And he says, no, you let me do this for you. Jesus changed the world by the way that he loved The paradigm wasn't the fact that he told his disciples to love people. The paradigm was the way that he loved them. The paradigm was that when everyone else would ignore the leper, Jesus would touch the leper. The paradigm when everyone else would ridicule or make fun of or cast judgment to the prostitute, Jesus would talk to her and love her and forgive her. Jesus' new paradigm, whether everyone else would despise or hate, have hatred in their heart towards a tax collector, Jesus said, come to dinner with me. And then Jesus said, hey, tax collector, Matthew, why don't you give up your job and come and learn from me? and come and learn to love the way that I love. When everyone else around Jesus would say, Jesus, what are you doing? Couldn't you have made better choices than the tax collector? Couldn't you have made better choices than to hang out with the lepers and to hang out with the prostitutes? No, Jesus says, it's a new commandment I give you. You should love one another just like you're seeing me love. And this type of love changed the world. This type of love that Jesus had in his heart started a movement. And more than 2,000 years later, here we are today, still talking about him. The question for today is, what does love require of us? This question that was started by one of a a mentor to um, Chris and a, a mentor to Encounter Church, um, I asked this powerful question in a series that they wrote. What does love require of us? In this past year, there are many times when I have wondered that question. What does love require of us? when Christians have not always made good choices throughout history, when people of faith have not always made the right choices, they've made actually awful choices that dishonor God, and they've made sinful wrong choices that have hurt people, mostly hurt the heart of God, that have made hurt women and men and children. In this past year, in a lot of the discord, and a lot of the fighting, and I'm not just talking about inside of churches and Christians, I'm just talking about the world. We live in a very broken world. And often our flesh, like our, our nature, our carnal nature, our sinful nature, you know what we want to do? We want to fight back, right? We want to justify ourselves. We want to argue. And I re- I remember even in, in educational settings, sometimes when people disagree, it's like people just want to be right. And even in seminary, when men and women who are going to 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 school to study the Bible, like to, to learn more about God. People arguing about their positions. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Man, he's pretty, he's pretty fired up against against her for the way that she thinks about this. Why you know? And this year has been no different than any other year in history. We we live life differently. We have different thoughts. We have different perspectives. And there's fighting and there's arguing. It only happens in a, inside of our homes that causes problems. It happens inside of our workplaces. It happens to you know, in, in this past year with everything that the world's gone through, all of the change and so much of it has been so, so good, some really good change, but from the, the political tension to the tension around so, so many important topics that we should be wrestling over, there has been a lot of fighting and there's been a lot, a lot of love that has not happened while there has been so much good change, while there has been so many opportunities for Christians to be good Christians, for, for us to love our neighbors, for us to love people that don't see life the way that we see it, I'm just thinking about the heart of Jesus that said to the church, and this is me saying this to you, Encounter Church, this is me saying this to you, anyone who is listening, and it's maybe not a part of Encounter Church, what would Jesus want us to do? How would Would Jesus want us to live? And ultimately the question, what does love require of us? In this tense moment inside your home, what does love require of you? In a moment when you do not see eye to eye with your spouse, what does love require of you? When you feel like quitting or you feel like giving up being in a relationship or even maybe in the workplace what does love require of you or maybe when you're in a restaurant and you're just really ticked off at what you're what's going on or what's not going on or or you're in traffic or you you you're irked by a stranger right or you're irked by someone else's views or you're reading Facebook and you just want to fire off at someone else's view because they don't believe what you believe you get all mad i've had people mad at me in the last 18 months because of because of me not saying things, right? And, and, and you just think about uh, these assumptions, and you think about the arguing and the fighting, you think about you know people and, and their views, and there's just so much dissonance. There's so much that's tearing people apart. What does love require? How? What does love cause us to say? What does love call us to do? In the moment of tension, how do Christians speak up? How do Christians honor God when there is racial injustice? How do Christians honor God when there's dissonance inside the workplace? How do Christians speak up and how do men and women honor God when there's struggle inside the home? How do men and women uh, that, uh, that have faith and that want to honor God speak up when there's so much fighting going on all around us? So, I don't know what the answer is, right? Some people have said too much and some people don't say enough. I don't know what the right thing to do is, but I, but I have this question, and this is the question. I don't have answers. I don't have solutions, but the question can lead to so much. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? If you are to love people, what should you do? What does love require of you in your home? What does love require of you with your children? What does love require of you when there are differences? What does love require of you online, right? And uh, what does love require in whatever situation you're thinking of? I've tried to listen well in ministry. And when I listen to someone's issue or someone's problem and they're talking about a relationship, it's hard because we often want to give answers. We often want to give our opinions. What about this? What if you try this, right? And when you're listening to someone's opinions or differences, and I just mentioned in educational settings, and someone has this view and someone has that view, how do we step into what's hard and love people? I would ask you and I would beg you to consider this verse that I read early in John chapter 13. This is Jesus. This is coming from the mouth of Jesus, not me, not Jason, right? Not a pastor at Encounter Church, but this is coming from the mouth of Jesus. A new commandment I give you to love one another. Another paradigm shift that Jesus gave was when Jesus says this I tell you that you should listen to this now. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A complete paradigm shift. And think about in the last year from the political division to all the different types of division that we've been facing, right? All the ones that I've mentioned already. Could you imagine what would it look like if you prayed for those that didn't see the world the way that you see it rather than fight with them? What would it look like for those if you, if you would call whoever you're thinking about or whatever you're thinking about an enemy or someone that you've been at odds with, what would it look f- like for you to actually love them? This is what Jesus told us to do. Now, and sometimes I want to fight back. I don't want to keep my mouth shut, right? Sometimes when we're at odds, I want to state my case or share my opinion. Even the Bible says sometimes we're a fool when we air our opinions because we are foolish at times when we air too much of what we think. But what Jesus did is he set a paradigm shift. He said, listen, when you are at odds and you have an enemy, you should love them. Now it's not saying in every single case that that we should never defend or that we should never step into a conversation and have a conversation because there's a time for it but this this is just coming from the mouth of Jesus love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you man what if we could redeem the every decision that you remember what this this really this series is about living a life of better decisions what if you could go back o- over your entire life And say, I want to love my enemies in a way that I have not before. How would that have changed conversations you've had? How would that have changed some of the direction that you've had? How would that change some of the action that you've been a part of, right, in your life? What would it look like for you to live a life of better decisions and fewer regrets? But onward, moving forward. Because I do want to live a life that honors God. I do want to live a life that points other people to him. I don't want to live a life of dissension and factions and arguing and stating my case and and this tension i don't want to live I don't want to live like that. I want to speak the truth I want to honor God. I want to defend where we need to defend. I want to speak against those things that are wrong. I want to stand up for what's right for sure, but I want to make sure that my posture is not to be an enemy but to be someone who loves. Our enemies. I want my posture, because I believe this is what the heart of God is, is to pray for those who persecute you, not to persecute back. My nature, maybe like yours, is to fight back. I don't mind conflict. Some people have a personality tendency that wants to avoid conflict. I don't mind conflict. If someone says, Hey, can we talk about a disagreement? I'd say, Yeah, I'll talk about it. I'm not gonna going to be nervous necessarily about that conversation because I don't mind the conflict but some people like conflict a little bit too much right I want to argue for arguing's sake and this is where pride comes in and this is where like we want to be right and I'm going to be honest I got that now I tell you I don't mind conflict but I do have pride I don't like being wrong I do want to be right and if you think that I'm wrong I want to justify Uh, myself and tell you where I'm right. And that's my sin nature. That's where that's those. Those are my issues. Right. But Jesus, in order to live a life of better decisions and fewer regrets, like what does love require? And Jesus told us what's required of us. He said that we are to love people like he loved them. Do not look to be served, but look for ways to serve. Do not look for ways just to be right? But look for ways to serve. Don't look for ways to be to, to, to right the wrongs. Don't look for ways to make your enemies more of an enemy. Look for ways to love your enemies. When you're persecuted, what do we want to do? Naturally, we want to push back. We want to fight back. We want to persecute back. We want to pay them for the wrong that they deserve. But Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. I want you to pray for them. Because they need help. What would it look like in our lives as we look back and most of all, as we look forward to love the way Jesus loved, to take a posture of washing others' feet, to take a posture of touching people in a way that honors and loves God? And I'm referring back to the leper when I think about that, right? Hey, don't go near that person, right? Don't touch them. They can't touch. You touch a leper, you're going to become unclean. But Jesus would love them and go to them and pray for them. Jesus touched them and healed them. What would it look like for us to love people in a way that Jesus loved them? And what would it look like for us to actually live that out, to live out a life of better decisions and fewer regrets by praying for those who persecute against us. I wrote down a few things this past week when I wrote down the, thing, the question, what does love require of me? If we answer this question just like Jesus did, I wrote down these three words, patience, grace, and service. And those are for me I mean, if I can just preach to myself for, for just a moment and I'll let you listen in. Like the three words that I wrote down for me this week, I just wanted to tell them with you because I think you're going to connect with me just like disconnected with me this week. Like love requires for me to be patient. And I love the, the word here, the translation of the, of the Greek word for patience is long suffering. To suffer a long time. I am not very patient. I want sometimes what I want, and I want it the way I want it. Do you relate? And the moment something doesn't go, when I trace back like my anger response, when I trace that back, when I, when I look at it, that's pretty easy. It's not the way I want it to be. Like the moment something doesn't go your way, we react. And it's easy to react that way, but love requires of us to be patient because, my goodness, the type of reaction that we see in our world today is not patient, it is not kind, it is not long-suffering, it's quick, it's emotional, and it's irrational. Let me say that again. It's quick, it's emotional, and it's irrational. What does love require of you? It requires of you to be patient. And the second thing I wrote down was grace, like to just give grace. And I just mean like to extend love and forgiveness in a way that just says, you know what, I'm not going to react and respond to that, right? To give grace to someone, to not think that you have to right every wrong. Listen, if you are a Christ follower, you're a Christian, you're someone who has faith in God. Let me tell you what's required of you. What's required is that you do live a life of patience and that you do live a life of grace, and we're even commanded and told, even in, in the New Testament, we should love as the Lord loved us, and we should forgive just like the Lord forgave you. And in fact, Paul, in the book called Colossians, says forgive as the Lord forgave you. You didn't deserve forgiveness, but God gave it to you. Some people in your life, I'm going to be real, they don't deserve forgiveness. They deserve to be punished. But you're called to forgive them. You're called to forgive them before they ask for forgiveness because that's what Jesus did for you on the cross. He loves you and he gave grace to you and he forgave you by what he did for you on the cross. And the last one is to live a life of service, like serve. I mean, actually do something, right? What does love require of you? Love requires that you stop and meet that need. Love requires you to pick up the phone, and make that call that you need to call to encourage someone, to love them, to forgive them. Love requires for you to stop doing what you want to do so that you can meet someone else's need. Grace, love, patience, kindness, even I'm thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, like what happens when God is inside of you, these qualities that come out, these qualities that come out, the longer that you know God, the longer that you walk with God, These things begin to come out, but the three that I wrote down this week are the ones that I just mentioned to you, patience, grace, and service. So what does love require of you? Maybe you can take my three and say, yep, that's what I need. I need to extend and have more patience, and I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to choose to do that. Yes, I need to extend grace because I just want to pay people back for what they've done, or I want to be bitter or not make that phone call, and then finally service. Maybe that's you too. Maybe you are thinking about something different when you answer the question, what does love require of me? But let me give you this encouragement. If you answer the question, it will lead you to an action that will honor God. What does love require for you in your home? What does love require of you in the workplace? And what does love require of you every single day? Answering this question will ultimately point you to honor God. And answering that question will ultimately living a life of better decisions and fewer regrets. Let me pray with you. Father, as we wrestle through this question, what does love require? God, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of your spirit, through your word. Thank you, God, for every man, woman, child that's listening in. I pray that what they're facing, the difficulty that they're facing, the dilemma, the challenges that they're facing, God, that you would meet them where they are, that you would help them, that you would give them ideas, that you would give them your wisdom, that you would give them direction, God. You give them even courage to take the step to make that call. I pray that you would give them courage to be more patient, courage, God, to be more gracious, and courage to know how to serve those around them. And I know, God, because of what your word says, that the world will take notice because of the way that we love you. And so, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this series. As we offer ourselves to you, we ask that you would lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Finally, in John chapter 13, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, and I read this at the very beginning, I want to give you this final encouragement as we wrap up our time together. Jesus told the disciples, if you love like this, the world will know me because of the way that you love. It won't just be about you. People will see the type of love that you have and notice that something is different about you. And so just know the way that you love the world, the kind of grace that you can show, the kind of patience that you can can have, and the type of service that you can show today and every single day will not only honor God, but the world will take notice. And when they do, you can tell them about them and their potential knowing God the way that you do. Thanks for being a part of Encounter Church today. Once again, we hope that you will be a part of our service coming up on July 25th right here at Encounter Church at 1030 AM. God bless you, and we hope you have a good week.